right, all right, that's enough chit-chat. Let's get started. <laughs> this is Advent. This is the beginning of the church calendar um, of the new year. And so I know that sounds a little odd, but what Advent is, it's the celebration of the coming. Not only the coming of Jesus, but also the next coming. And we live in that in-between time. And there is something about this season that stirs up so much in us, right? It stirs up a lot of longing. It stirs up loss in our lives. It stirs up uh, some frustration and unfulfilled expectations. And then we live in a world and in a time where there's violence almost all the time. We're talking about violence on a Sunday morning. There's anger, there's disasters, there's pain, there's injustice, it seems like, all over. And so this can be a really weird, difficult time of the year. And we can try to numb it, you know? We can throw on some Hallmark, Hallmark movies. <laughs> we can, uh, maybe we can watch Elf. We get into our traditions. For, for some of us, I mean, for some of you, uh, Christmas is like the most wonderful time of the year, Right? You're putting up Christmas decorations like the day after Halloween, which is biblically a sin. <laughs> and then you're leaving them up like well into the new year, which that's also quite a sin. Some of you um, would prefer that this just this whole season would just go away the sooner the better. And I think we get that. I think we all get both sides of that. But today what we're going to do is we're going we're to kind of dig into the, the ancient idea of the questioning that the people of Israel had. In the book of Psalms, when it would talk about how long, O oh Lord, just how long and when will this all get Resolve. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. I'm going to, I'm going to read a little bit of a line of a, of, a, of a Christmas Advent hymn, and then we're going to get started. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 21. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed, clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Fast forward to the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He wrote this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. And the mountains trembled before you. Since, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help, 
to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, all of, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Now listen to this line. Oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Thou dayspring come and cheer, our spirits by thine advent hear. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let me pray. God, this morning, meet us here. Meet us today in this place as we contemplate what exile means, what a longing for home means. And show us how that actually is the way through. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So one of the major themes in scripture is the theme of exile. In fact, one of my favorite scholars is a guy named N.T. Wright. And his, his argument is exile is actually the most prominent theme in all of Scripture. It goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it links them together. This idea of exile, this idea of longing for home. In fact, super nerdy people call it an inner canonical theme. And, and it's just something that's woven between both Testaments. Now, it ties the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament together and we can trace it through all the different sections of Scripture, whether it's you know, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, or the historical books, or the prophets. The prophets talk about exile all the time. But even in the Gospels, we're going to see. And even in the New Testament, we see that there's this, this idea that Paul says all the time that you and I are strangers and aliens. That we're not of this world. So this idea of exile all the way through scripture, and, and I would make the case that exile is a longing for home that not just Christians and Jewish people in the Old Testament felt, okay? I would actually argue that all of us, every person on this planet feels the longing for home. That kind of longing, that deep, um, that deep feeling that things aren't quite right. Do you know what I'm talking about? That idea that all of us 
feel like we're not at home here. Existentialists call it alienation. Um, detachment for the world. That's kind of an, an atheist language. And, and I'm going to try to stay in the light because I don't know if you guys can see me. Not that you want to. But um, that atheist language actually talks about this idea of alienation and separation and we don't feel like we belong. So it's not just a Christian feeling, it's a human feeling. And I, I would argue that this feeling of exile is the feeling that we're not at home, at, but more than that, we're kind of betrayed by the world. That we're, there's something not right here. And I don't care, maybe, maybe during the holidays, um, you came from a broken home, and so it's really difficult for you to engage in the, in the holiday spirit because there's something going on there for you. Um, and maybe it doesn't matter if you came from a great home that had all these great traditions. I think the reality is no matter what um, kind of a background you come from or what kind of nationality you come from, uh, what kind of economics you come from or gender or age, there's this deep sense that we want a real home. Now I'm going to push you into thinking this a little bit more. This idea of memory. There's people that talk quite often about this idea of a longing and a sense of things not being right is actually a memory, a memory in us, an echo, um, a memory in of us of a place we've never been, but we know it exists. Now, just work with me a little bit here. It's kind of like this, this idea of an echo of something you've heard before. You can, you, can kinda, you can kind of feel it. You can kind of taste it. You can kind of sense it, that there's something else, something better. And it's almost like we remember it, but we don't know what it is, and we long for it, but we've never had it. There's a neurosurgeon uh, who is not a believer who wrote a book on near-death experiences. In fact, he talks about his own. And the guy's name is Eben Alexander, and he wrote this book that was on the New York Times bestseller list for 90 weeks. It's called Proof of Heaven. And he has this really interesting way of talking about what I'm just unpacking to you right now. He says this, it was like when your parents take you back to a place where you spent some time as a very young child. You don't know the place, or at least you think you don't, but as you look around, something pulls at you, and you realize that part of yourself, a part way deep down, does remember the place after all, and is rejoicing at being back there again. So, my question is, is if existential philosophers say we don't feel at home here, and neurosurgeons with near-death experiences also have this same kind of feeling inside, that feeling that you don't feel at home and that you're longing for home, why do we have that? Why, why do we have that feeling that things aren't right? Here's why. I believe each one of us is haunted by shalom, by the Hebrew idea of peace. 
think each one of us is haunted of us, that, that the peace of God actually haunts us, that, that it's not just the absence of war, that biblical shalom is bigger than that, this idea that, that God has set eternity in our hearts and everything else that goes on this world kind of rubs against that. And we're haunted by grace and we're haunted by true love and a real home that we long for. For example, think about what a protest march is. Whether you believe in the protest march or not, that's not the issue. But people march, people protest because deep inside of them, deep down, they feel like there's something unjust that has taken place. And they want it to be different. It's that idea inside of us. It's almost as if it's in our DNA, right? That something is not right and we know it. It's why we mourn when people die. Because that shouldn't happen. And it's why we're excited when babies are born. Because that's a beautiful thing. And we can trace all this back to Genesis 1 and 2. And, and what haunts us about Genesis 1 and 2 is not that, our, not that we're not in the garden anymore. It's this lack of presence with God that we don't have anymore. And scripture all the time talks about heaven and earth. The, um, the counterpart to heaven is not hell. And we've talked about this before. In scripture, it's always heaven and earth that are linked together. And this place was right because God was with us in the garden. As humanity was right, that's how it was. God was with us and that we experienced true rest and true peace and true justness in the garden. And all the stuff we long for in this season, it comes from a place that haunts us. In Genesis 3, we experience that we see the rebellion of humanity. And I've thought about this for many years um, as a pastor and as someone who teaches scripture and the Bible. Underneath all of what sin is, is a lack of trust in God to provide the good. That's the underneath, that's the current through sin. It's a lack of trust in God to provide the good. Now, what's interesting in Genesis 2 is the key word in Genesis, in all the creation story is, and God said it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then um, he, he realized, you know, Adam's like kind of lonely, and he's like, that's not good. And so he creates Eve, and is very good. You know, women, you get the very good. We just get good. You're very good. And this whole idea of good and good and good, and God said, trust me, I know what is good for you. And at some point in the rebellion, the idea got sideways. And humanity turned back and said, no, don't tell us what's good. God, you're holding good back from us. You're holding out on me. So when you read Genesis 3, what Genesis 3 begins is the first exile. It's the first exile. Sin, rebellion, separates if you're married and you sin against your spouse, that doesn't bring you closer together. It actually separates for a time. And maybe there's some, there's some restoration that happens and reconciliation that happens, but in a friendship, in a work 
relationship, if, if someone does something against you, it kind of puts a distance between you. Maybe you're the kind of person who runs away when you hurt people or when people hurt you. Sin separates. It detaches us from each other. It pulls us away from God. This is what one commentator wrote about the first exile. This is a guy named John Salehammer. He said this, The verdict of death consisted of being cast out of the garden, exiled, and barred from the tree of life, cut off from the protective presence of community with God in the garden. Ironically, when the human race who had been created like God sought to be like God, they found themselves after the fall no longer with God. Their happiness does not consist of, the, uh, consist of their being like God so much as it does their being with God. See, we do the same thing all the time, right? We do it all the time. We choose what is good for ourselves, I choose what is good for myself. And that choice, we think, is us being the boss of our own kingdom. But you and I were already created to be like God. But our happiness is actually tied to being with God. And so that's where the homesickness starts, you see. That's where exile pulls out of us this idea of a longing for home. We were once with God, and now we live east of Eden. We were once with God, and now we long for a true home. And scripture is full of exile. All of it. Noah, the story of Noah. So you've got God who decides to recreate the earth out of mourning. He's actually mourning this, and he recreates the earth with water. And the ark is, in a sense, a kind of an exile, where, where Noah is, is, is in exile. He's outside of what God had created. And, and then Noah does the same thing that Adam does. Noah, actually, there's fruit and nakedness. Adam takes the fruit, and then he realizes he's naked. Noah does the fruit in the form of wine and then realizes he's naked. There's this, this really twisted story in Genesis. What is that, about seven, something like that? It's pretty great. And then it's just like, okay, sin is still in the human heart. It's still here. It's still just something that's just part of us. And we, we fast forward to Abraham. Abraham is exiled. God says, leave your home and go where I tell you. And then, he, and then we have Jacob, and, and Jacob lies to Laban, and then he's in exile. And then we have the Israelites. We have the people of Israel, the, the, the family, this, these, these, these 12 brothers that are in Egypt um, and then what, what is good at first is this, this care of Egypt ends up becoming something where they are in exile in Egypt as a people. And then Moses comes. And God says, leave and trust me. And like one day into it, they're like, we want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt. And then they get to the promised land border. And they don't trust they don't trust in the goodness of God. And so they're in exile in the wilderness. Do you see the theme here? It's over and over again. There's not trusting in the goodness of God and then being in exile. They're in exile in the wilderness. They finally get into the land and you'd think, okay, everything's going to be good now. Well, then they continue to not obey. And then they're exiled into Babylon. 
And the prophets write over and over again about the lion laying down with the lamb and no more sickness and righteousness filling the earth. And then we read in Ezra how they get back to the land. And they get back to the land and and then we fast forward into that kind of intertestamental time and Rome is over them. I mean, it's like they're exiled in their own land, right? I mean, they're home, but they're not really home. And then Jesus enters in. And this whole theme of exile since Genesis 3 starts to come out through the story of Israel and through Jesus and through Jesus, you know, going through the temptations are actually, these are, these are Jesus fulfilling the things that the Israelites never fulfilled. Here's what's interesting. In, in my reading for this, I was blown away. I had no idea, I never put it together that Jesus was actually born in exile. I mean, think about it. Jesus was actually in Galilee. Joseph and Mary were in Galilee and they actually had to go somewhere for a census. And and then Jesus is born in this unfamiliar town, in this just really dumpy joint, in 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 a stable, in a manger. You know the story. And actually, Jesus, and then there's this fear, um, Herod's killing kids, trying to figure, find who this Messiah is. They flee to Egypt. I mean, they're in exile in Egypt. And so we have this idea, like Jesus actually experiencing exile, what it's like to be on the outside. He's like a man of sorrows, alienated on the outside. Jesus, as an adult, talks about how foxes have holes but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he's killed and crucified. Where? Outside of the city. It's, he's, he's even exiled as a condemned heretic, forsaken and alienated from the Father, born, lived, and crucified in exile, and felt the fullness of our exile from God. And he steps into our exile, and why did he do all of this? And this might be familiar song lyrics to you this time of the year. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that, no, that man no, no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. First Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteousness for the unrighteous the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This idea that he did all of this to bring us home. To bring us home. The word restoration, that definition is the return of something to its former owner, place, or condition. That's what this is. And we can now come home. And in a real way, we can be brought into a loving relationship with God once again. And yet we still feel that longing, right? We still feel that unsettledness. There's an atheist and secular author named Julian Barnes. I don't know if you've heard of him. But in a book he wrote... um, a friend of mine gave me this. It's actually a, sec- it's like secular meditations on death. It's really interesting. 
It's his, it's his way of wrestling with mortality as someone who does not believe in God. In the opening line of his book, the, book he's, the book's title is Nothing to be Frightened of. And people always freak out when I actually quote atheists. They're like, you're going to make people want to go read atheists. Well, don't be, <laughs> like, don't be afraid. Like, read, like, think, um, chew, wrestle. That's what we're here for. In the opening line of his book, Nothing to be Frightened of, he says this, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Isn't that fascinating? I don't believe in God, but I miss him. What is that? Like, what is that? That's like a, that's like a genuine, that's like an honest, beautiful reflection of somebody that, I mean, he, he got kind of crucified by the atheist community for even writing this. This idea that inside of us, there's something pinging in us that our human longing is for God. Deep down, I miss God. I miss home. The message version of Psalm 90. Let me read this to you. God, it seems you've been our home forever, long before the mountains were born, long before you brought earth itself to birth. From once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. God is our home, and there's something in us that remembers that. And then there's good news. There's actually really good news about exile. And this is where we're going to wrap up today. I mean, here's the thing. It hurts, and there's this ache there. There's this unresolved feeling of unsettledness there. Um, and there's, a, there's this professor philosophy this guy's a believer. He's actually at Boston College, and his name's Peter Kraft, and he wrote this. Our way home is found in the center of our exile. It's, he's actually arguing that when we understand that exile feeling in us, that longing for home, that's actually the way to find it. That's actually the way that connects us. He says that feeling causes us to seek a true home. That idea that I'm not at home in this world and should, that, that should actually alert me to the idea that home can be found. Does that make sense? And if we all feel this homelessness, then that should point us to the idea that there is a home to find. C.S. Lewis wrote in a letter to his friend Sheldon, he talks about these moments. They, they were kind of going back and forth about these moments that, that, you know those moments that you wish would last forever? You know what I mean? Those moments that are just perfect. They talked about why we feel that and why there's something in us that wants those moments to last forever. And C.S. Lewis says this, does the being hungry prove that we have bread? Though it doesn't prove that one particular man will get food, it does prove that there is such a thing as food. If we were a species that didn't normally eat, weren't designed to eat, would we feel hungry? If you are, are really a product of a materialistic universe, how is it that you don't feel at home there? This idea that there's something in us that was created for something else, that longing that you have for eternity, for moments that last forever, from not being separated from someone you love, that should alert you to something. That should cause you to think that there's this longing for home 
And if there is this longing for home, then there must be one, right? Longing for home is a real thing. It made us, God made us for himself. And our exile means our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. That's from August, Augustine. That we are restless people because we are restless for him. Story Jesus tells of the prodigal son. It's an interesting story. Um, it, you know, it's, it's Jesus telling the story. It's like three stories in a row, and this is the final one. And he talks about the son who left, and it says the, the son actually longed to eat what the pigs were eating. That he was just longing for nourishment, and he comes to, his senses, comes to his senses, and he says, if I went home, I could at least be a servant. At bare minimum, I could at least be a servant in my father's house. And it says, while he was still a long way off, his father ran to him. So we have this haunting memory of home with God. And we think we could just, I mean, even if I was just a servant there, it would be better than this. It would be better than all the things I see around me. True home. Now I'm just going to finish up with one scripture in the book of Revelation. And, and here's the thing. Some of the beginning of Revelation, I understand. The end of Revelation, I, I really get the end. The middle of it's so weird, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Um, <laughs> the love of God pursues us and comes after us. All of us long for things to be made right, right? Revelation 21, one through five says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. This is like ultimate Emmanuel, God with us. And this beautiful picture of, of it all starting in the garden, and it ends in this garden city. In verse 4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's that ultimate longing we, we want, right? Relationships made new. Healing, no more sickness, no more death, no more violence, no more pain, no more injustice. No more, no more unfulfilled expectations or family dysfunction or no more, no more longing anymore because we have what we've longed for. So my question is, is if Advent is about longing, will you allow yourself to really be in touch with your own exile, with your own longing? Will you allow that to happen in this season? Will you maybe take the time to write down, you know, and, and maybe note the times in your life, in your days, in your week, 
where there's news that frustrates you or sadness or anxiety or fear or that longing creeps back into your life, will you just acknowledge it? Will you just note it? And then leave it with the one who knows what exile is. Leave it with the one who has done it all to bring you